Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. If our five listeners only knew what we talked about before we hit the record button. Then we would have no listeners. And we would probably have a a podcast that wouldn't would be permanently listed as E explicit. Um, But that shall that shall remain a mystery. Um, I have to say that um, I didn't prep you for this um, before Mm -hmm. we hit record, but I'm a little bit irritated with you. Um, it only took 30 years. Let's go. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm only I'm, I'm a little irritated with you today. So it only took, what, 18 hours today to get there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you need to stop sending me book recommendations. <laughs> 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 because yeah. every book you recommend. Oh, my God, you didn't. Is... You, you didn't actually buy anything from the last one I sent you, did you? No, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. No, no. I'm, 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 I, I, I joke in saying that because, in all seriousness, um, you are very discerning when it comes to what you read, and, and you know what my likes and dislikes are. So if you recommend me a book, traditionally. 99% of the time it's something that I will read and go, Oh, that was a good read. Um, you're yeah, not. And what I good. mean by that is yeah. stuff within your professional, you never recommend that kind of stuff. Boring. But if it comes to sci-fi, yeah. and there are sci-fi books you've read where you're like, nah, that's not really my thing. You know, you've tried it. You don't recommend yep. it. Yep. Um, but one of the books um, a while back that you had talked about that you had wanted to read yeah. was a book called The Possibility of Life. Yes. Science, Imagination, and Our Quest for Kinship in the Cosmos. Yes. And this is by Jamie Green. Yep. And we were lucky enough to reach out, or we we hope we reached out with a slim hope that maybe she'd right. want to join us. Yeah. Um, not only did she agree to do that, yeah, but this is great. we got advanced reader copies reader copies yeah you know uh that was that was just yeah jamie and um and her her publicist um they were just nice as could be and yes i have right in front of me right here uh the copy my copy they sent us each a copy and you're right i had said to you man i mean as soon as this book was announced I had yeah. said, man, this looks right up my alley. I so want to read this. And we're just going to have to wait for, I mean, for months, months and months and months and months. And and it goes in line with some of the stuff you and I have wanted to do from a gaming perspective and everything. So it was almost like, uh, I don't remember, the, I had the word in my head. Um, kismet. kismet. Yes, that um, this book showed up on your radar at the time we were talking about writing a, and in putting together some gaming stuff around this idea that there might be, you know, yeah. and let's yeah. just, you know, you know, statistically or mathematically speaking, it seemed it's, it just seems silly to me mm-hmm. to believe that there can't be, you know, Oh, life elsewhere. And even as someone of someone who of faith, um, I don't think there's anything that precludes me from believing no, these that are as not well. mutually exclusive ideas. No, no and, and it's unfortunate. I don't want to get into the politics, but but for some they are. I don't believe that to be the case. No. And when you sent me. Um, the, I think I sent you the link, right? Like for the yeah. pre-order kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was I was just fascinated. Yeah. And then you did the reach out and. I think when she messaged us back asking for addresses to send us the copy, I think, I mean, and I, and I joke, but we were kind of giddy about it. Oh, no, no question about it. I I mean, not that we've ever been like that before because of something with the podcast, but, but, or Star Trek or Star Wars or D and D anyways, my point being, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, we got such a, a, a warm response from Jamie and just, just to put a few things in perspective for our listeners, uh, for this episode. So, uh, first of all, this book has been available for pre-order for a while. It got on my radar on our radars 
I think it I'll was, be I'll be honest. Okay. It, it hit your radar first. You're yeah. the one that that directed me to it. Yeah, well, because it came up on one of my feeds or in one of my magazines yeah. or something. Um, yeah, and so that was I think back as far as like maybe December, certainly certainly January, and yeah. I say that because uh, looking at my copy. I started reading it basically the day it arrived, which was on February 15. Yep. This episode drops on April 17. And good people who are listening right now, tomorrow Jamie's book releases and is available to everyone, not just on pre-order. And so we were just really fortunate to chat with Jamie, who, as we'll hear shortly, is just just the loveliest person, a wonderful, engaging writer. And um, (laughs) the depth of her geekiness goes far. Um, she definitely was a kindred spirit. But to go back to what you were saying, Brad, because I didn't mean to 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 waylay no. this. Your your observation a few minutes ago about just your assumption. Belief is a strong word, although it is my belief. But your belief, your assumption, your expectation that the galaxy, the universe, must be teeming with life. Who knows what percentage? Who knows how much of that is sentient? Who knows how much of that is sentient and self-aware? Whatever. Whatever the odds are, whatever the percentages are, we've, I think, always both believed that there can't be any other way, right? Goes back to the sentiment, I think, so beautifully expressed in um, in the movie and the book, but especially the movie uh cosmos i'm sorry contact contact right contact which remains my all-time favorite movie and so just the fact and and we'll talk about this but just the fact that those sentiments are in the book it just resonated with us yeah and i think i think you hit i think you made a and and then we'll jump to the yeah um the interview but you said something that i think people need to understand and that is we don't know if you know sentient life out there is like the non-talking aliens in independence day or what you know in some circles they call the grays or if it's amoeba we don't know right but just people people assume there can't be life well what we're talking about could be in some various form of life it could be i mean we've already got potential evidence of it on other planets and moons in our own solar system at least possibilities. Yeah, there's possibilities. Yeah. Of, At least you know? possibility. Yep. And we and and so if that's the case, then the, then the possibility has to exist somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and and contact. What's funny before we jump over? I don't want to waylay it either. I found it interesting. I don't necessarily know. And I, if I read correctly, it really wasn't Carl Sagan's intent. But when you watch the end of contact matthew mcconaughey's character porter joss yeah just a and brilliant uh, um, scene yeah and jody foster's ellie yeah. i can't remember her last ellie arroway ellie arroway um they have that conversation and yes. i think in that very moment it's very poignant that um that i think it gives a very logical explanation on how you can believe and yeah. believe. Yeah, he so. he says, and I, I can't quote it directly at the moment, but he says when questioning, you know, do you believe her? And he says something to the effect of, you know, Dr. Arroway and I come from very different backgrounds. We have very different training and very different perspectives, but I, for one, believe her. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just a wonderful movie. Look, I think we should just get into it because as good as this let's, might be. Let's go for because us, yeah. I, I think the, the interview is fantastic. Jamie um, just brought so much to the table in yeah. and beyond the book. So so we are we are really thrilled to bring you our chat with Jamie Green. Jamie Green is a science writer, essayist, editor, and teacher, and she is series editor of the Best American Science and Nature Writing. She received her MFA in creative nonfiction from Columbia, and her writing has appeared in Slate, Popular Science, New York Times Book Review, American Theater, Catapult, Astrobytes, and elsewhere. She lives in Connecticut with her husband and son. All right, well... 
we are thrilled to be sitting here across the digital either with uh, with Jamie Green. I'm holding in my hand the possibility of life, science, imagination, and our quest for kinship in the cosmos. Um, Jamie, thank you for joining us. It's so cool to have you here. Of course. Thanks so much for, for inviting me. Um, there's so much we could ask you and talk about. Um, we've already been talking a little offline, obviously, and there's just so much we can geek out about. But um, here's actually, if you don't mind, where I want to start with the question. So, you know, this is a book literally about the possibility of life in the galaxy, in the universe, whatever. But right before we hit record, you said you started out in theater. Yes. In college. Yeah. And I know I know you've got a cre uh, an MFA in creative nonfiction. So, I mean, I... I, I see the links, but how how does a person go from <laughs> theater to becoming like just a foremost science writer? That's not a natural progression for most people. Well, it happened because my whole life it's been theater and acting, theater and acting. Like when I was a, for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to act. Like those were the two things I loved. Mm -hmm. Those were the two things I did, you know, through school. And when I was in college, I was a theater major, but I was really lucky that I went to a school at the time at least where anyone could do a creative writing honors project, even if you weren't an English major. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, and those weren't too disparate. You know, I was yeah, doing yeah. theater and creative writing. You know, I took a playwriting class. And so I did, um, in undergrad, I did a creative writing thesis in fiction. And so it was always theater and writing, theater and writing. And um, when I was graduating, I applied for a bunch of jobs in publishing. I applied for a bunch of jobs in, you know, in the theater industry in New York. I happened to get a job at a talent agency. And so I worked in theater for a few years, first at a talent agency, then in new play development. Um, and then the 2018 recession hit, or 2008 recession yeah, hit. I'm yeah. not that young. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, I got a job as a receptionist, which paid better than my theater job. Oh my um, and <laughs> I had been doing like some theater blogging on the clock at my theater job. So maybe it was fine that they didn't pay me very well. Um, and so I was like, well, theater didn't work out. And I was also like, kind of burnt out and soured on the industry. And I was like, well, now let's try writing. And I like sat at, I would, I would go to a cafe and like open my computer and expect to just start writing a novel. Not cliche which, at all. No. And it just surprisingly didn't immediately happen. And so I was thinking about like, what did I lo really love writing in college? And I thought back to the one creative nonfiction class that I'd taken, which was the one creative nonfiction class at the time that was offered. It was literally, yeah. you could take, there's one class. Um, wow. And then I just sort of, without really thinking about it, <laughs> ended up in an MFA program. I was like, well, I'll go to the info session and see what's up. And then I was like, oh, no, I really liked that. Oh, cool. Well, I'll just send in an application and see what happens. And and then I got in. And, and the way that that brought me to science writing, because I had also always loved science growing up, um, I didn't really know what a career in science meant. I didn't know anything about research or how any of that mm. works. Um, and But I, I had always liked science and I had this idea that I would go to college and double major in theater and physics, partly because I liked physics and partly because I thought it sounded really cool yeah. <laughs> to major in those two things, like how yeah. interesting. Um, but then senior year of high school, I didn't do enough of my calculus homework to really keep up with it. <laughs> and then I was like, oh no, can't really do physics without that. Um, <laughs> And so then I got to grad school and that first semester, one of my professors mentioned that there was a science writing group on campus okay. that was actually run through like the um, either the bio or the neuroscience department. And I was like, oh, oh I've always loved science. Really cool. I'll go to that. And I, I from then on just started looking for opportunities to incorporate science into my creative nonfiction. I also didn't know that science journalism programs existed. If I had known okay, about that, yeah, yeah. things could have ended up very differently. That, because I mean, that's okay. That that's really interesting. I mean, because your book, yeah, because like I was thinking about science journalism, right? And in your book has a not a lot, but a bit of a different vibe to me, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. Uh, um, one, I think it's funny. 
<laughs> Thank you. And and like I, I I appreciated the seemingly random little bits of humor when you weren't expecting them. And it's it's I think that's important. I mean, I like having mm -hmm. humor in science writing. Um uh one of my favorite science auth scientist authors is Robert Sapolsky, right? Mm -hmm. The the neuroscientist, neurothologist, and and the man is hilarious. Uh, in his writing, yeah. even though he's at the top of his game scientifically. And that's hard to find. You're, you've got humor. And I, I don't know how else to better put this. It's it's like the readers there with you. It's a very, it's not the right word. It's a very personable book. Like there doesn't feel like there are any errors or pretenses. There's not a distance. It's like you're clearly enamored with this stuff. And it translates and it carries the reader along. I mean, obviously, like Brad and 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 I are biased because, like, yeah, we're there, right? We we love this stuff, mm -hmm. anyways. But um, that's that's very cool. That's an interesting background. Um, what a neat way to do it. <laughs> so, if I may, let me just read yeah. something. Oh gosh, it's just a sentence. <laughs> um, well, I will I will preface by saying that I just loved that the book within what is it, the first 30-ish you know, pages, I mean, by the, basically through the preface, just into the, into the, the first chapter, or the intro into the first chapter, you ground it, you ground the book, you ground the argument for the book in both Star Trek and Carl Sagan. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's like, oh man, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I had a bit of a moment when I was reading that those first pages, because it's like, this is this is our generation. I don't know how else to put it. It's like this is this was the hope. This was the notion that that we surely must be living in the galaxy, teeming with life and maybe even replete with sentient life. And you know, one hopes they're doing a lot better with it than we are. And and it's just a matter now until we encounter it. And and just this one, this one, um, this one sentence, I just thought I think it sums up the whole the whole book. Through fiction, we can move beyond likelihoods and binary outcomes to look instead at what our imaginations do with the limitless yeah. possibilities of outer space and crucially ask what that might mean. I mean, come on. You're even blushing. Mic drop. Be honest. <laughs> Jason texted me very late at night. I sent you a picture of the page, I think. Yeah, because and even though I had the book, he was he was very. No, I was, dug in as soon as it got here. Yeah. 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 So he had beat me to start it. And yeah. you had you were already enamored once you read that, and then you actually, like you said, you took a picture of that portion of the yeah. page. So. But sorry, I just wondered if you wanted to comment on. Sorry, we just read from your book. No, we this should is. Like you talk. <laughs> no, this is. I mean, this is this is wonderful. You know, you write a book, and like this is the dream that people get it and connect with it in that way. Um, I don't. I don't really know what. Can you ask me a question? <laughs> I oh oh man, can we? Um, <laughs> um, you okay? So so okay. How about this? Because I mean, I I, I kind of get the vibe, but like, why Sagan? I mean, he's ugh, he's everything. Like, so I I think I'm a few years younger than you guys, mm -hmm. and so Sagan. I don't know about you, but I'm 31. So. Okay, so I am oh, you, older than you. Okay, I'm much older than you. Brad's just lived in a remarkably difficult life for the last 31 years. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So yeah. I'm, kidding. I'm closer. To, I'm closer yeah. to AARP age than right. Said, so. You know, we definitely have a few years on you. Yeah. 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 So so Sagan, you know, Cosmos, the original Cosmos was airing uh, before I was born, I believe. Oh, that hurt a little, but go on. Okay, but just barely, just barely, <laughs> right? Like it was like 1980 ish. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, so okay, so we were six, and I first saw it when I was like in sixth-ish grade. Okay, right. Okay. So mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. now we've established the age difference. Um, yeah. So I grew up on Star Trek on Next yeah. Generation. Um, my guess is around when I was eight or so, my dad started putting it on because he yeah. had grown up on original series, and it was just yeah. like, here's some TV. Um, and I I don't think he 
set out to indoctrinate me. I actually asked him about it recently because uh, I, I've never asked him, like, why did you put on Star Trek for me and for my little sister who would have been like five at the time? Um, and it's yeah. not like it's inappropriate, but I don't know that she got anything out of it. Because um, I always wondered if he thought that like, aha, this is something for Jamie. Or if he was just like, oh, here's some TV. And I think it was the latter. But um, we ended up, it ended up becoming like pretty central to our relationship, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, my parents were divorced by that point. And I, I don't know when Star Trek aired, but I'm pretty sure it was the weekends and we would watch it at my dad's house. And when I got older and either like the visitation schedule changed or the TV schedule changed, we would watch it. I would be at my mom's house and he would be home and we would both be watching it, you know, live on TV as you did back then. Mm -hmm. um, and every commercial break, I would run from the living room into the kitchen where the phone was and the phone would ring and it would be That's my sweet. dad and we would talk about what had just happened and then it'd be like, okay, it's coming back. I'll talk to you next commercial break and hang up oh, and run back cool. in to watch the show. Um, it was just like really very, you know, foundational in that way. For Sagan, I don't remember when I first like learned who Carl Sagan was, but I vividly remember the first time that I read him. Um, when I was a teenager, I worked at the local Barnes and Noble and they had a policy where any book that they had more than one or two copies of, you could borrow one because they wanted you to be well read and know about the books. Um, and so I borrowed a copy of the copy of Cosmos and I borrowed Contact and I read those both while I was working there. And, oh. you know, so I was like 16 or 17 yeah. and it was just like, yeah, yeah. Because like I already, you know, was interested in sci-fi and in science. Um, and, you know, it was just like, of, of course, because it, it was and I guess the movie I must have seen the movie of Contact before I read the book. Yeah, ditto. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, he, he was a beautiful writer and brought so many big picture things together. I learned so much science from reading Cosmos. Like, I just learned a lot. Um, and, yeah, it was very exciting and just made it feel, like you said, like the universe must be full of life just waiting for us. Have you um have you read or listened to interviews with Androyan? Yes. Uh, well, remember I, yeah. I interviewed her for the book. And so that oh, that's was right. That God, was that's so right. meaningful to me. So I first learned oh. about her from the Radio Lab episode about oh. the creation of the Golden Record. Oh, it's this oh. amazing segment. It's on it. it's on two different um episodes of Radio Lab. It's on the love episode and I believe it's the space episode, which is so perfect. Because, and so she she yeah. talks about the creation of the Golden Record and how they fell in love during that process. Um and getting to interview her for the book was hugely meaningful to me because you know i knew that she was the co-producer and co-creator of cosmos that she you know gets a story credit on contact but what i learned talking to her was that she's the uncredited co-author mm -hmm. because she had been a novelist um but as she told me and as i write in the book you know the editor told her we're not going to put your name on this no one wants a book by carl sagan and his wife yeah, I, yeah. um but she's she's remarkable you know on her own um and as a collaborator and just getting to talk to her about contact and about the golden record and um it was just it was yeah she's it was very meaningful and you know obviously there's there's like this kind of empty space in the book where if he were still alive hopefully if i were lucky interviews with carl sagan would go because he died oh, yeah. you know yeah. so prematurely yeah um but he's he's his presence is throughout the book. He definitely shows up in more chapters than any, you know, most yeah. scientists and writers who I read or interview show up in one, maybe two chapters, but yeah. he's, he's throughout it because it really is um, part of his legacy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, I was, I was impressed with the range of people, especially scientists you interviewed for the book, right? I mean, you, there are in any of these, these, science books you you often you know 
I mean, we all know them in whatever field. There are scientists who are very prominent, who <laughs> who uh, speak very well, almost invariably to a T these days, probably are dressing all in black for interviews. I mean, there's definitely a thing. And, <laughs> and, and they're good and they have something to say. But there were a, a lot of people in your book you had interviewed who I had not heard of before and right who were doing the work. Um, I just thought that was very cool. That was a, a much much wider, more interesting net than I would have expected. Oh, I, I really appreciate that because it was hard because the book covers so many different fields of science. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wasn't able in the research to go really deep. I wasn't able to interview yeah. 10 people who study a given thing mm -hmm. and then figure out who, you know, the most interesting characters are and who has the most interesting research. Like it was really just like I got a few names and a lot of it was luck of the draw of like who emailed me back. And I just felt very lucky that it I ended up finding a lot of people who speak really interestingly and are doing really interesting work. I, uh, as an aside, I enjoyed, I don't know why, I enjoyed that you used your own drawings. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think you're going to win awards for them. Oh, really? Because... Really? You think that drawing wow. of the little, the little I... monkey creature from Avatar is not? <laughs> I didn't say it. I'm just saying, I mean, so they, all, they all conveyed, they all conveyed exactly what you were talking about. That impressed me. But I, I, I mean it. I don't. Chase, know you were that. really, you were really complimentary at the start with the mic drop moment. Now you're giving a reason to hang up on us. Yeah, no, but... no, it it amuses me to no end because I like I got the idea to include a couple little sketches because at some point I was explaining something or figuring out how to write about something and I drew a little sketch and I was like, oh, that kind of looks, that's kind of cute. Maybe I'll put, I'll see yeah. if I can put that in there. But um, and and it does. I, I hope that it gives that feeling like you were describing of that. I'm like with there with the read. I'm, I'm there with the reader. It does. I'm like, I wanted it to feel like, like I'm telling you about this and we're like at a bar and I just grab a napkin to, to sketch a little something to explain it. Um, but that drawing of the, of the avatar monkey, I really thought at some point someone would say, Hey, maybe not this one. And no one did. <laughs> it just like really tickles me that that, but it, it's like, it's a hard creature to explain in words because of the way that it's like sort of has two arms but sort of doesn't and I was like well I'll just I, I'm not gonna like try to get an image credit from Avatar they're not oh, gonna let me luck. use that yeah. um so I I drew it and it's like well I never said I was an artist did not go to school for visual art as right. everyone can tell <laughs> let me let me ask because I'm usually the type that does the, the weird segues and right turns but with your experience writing this um has it given you like the fuel to maybe continue and and write further do you have ideas of what you might and again i'm not looking for we're not looking for spoilers just in general sake you know yeah it it really did um i'm working on an article right now that um comes out of what i write about in the first chapter about the study of the origin of life because that's like half a chapter and I just felt like I could write so much more about it. Like I wanted to learn so much more about it. So I'm working on an article now um, with about some of the researchers who I write in, write about in the book, just cause I was like, I want to learn and write more about what you're doing. Um, I, I feel like this was the end of about 10 years on and off writing about oh. ast astronomy, astrobiology, exoplanets, SETI. I feel like I've probably mostly said what I need to say about that. Um, but there's also a lot that I write about in the book that was really new to me. A lot of the cell biology and evolution and yeah. origin of life stuff. And I feel really excited to um, keep learning and writing about some of that. That's really wow. cool. How does, and, and we'll, we'll obviously come back to the book, but um, we talked a little bit before, and we know you're a gamer. Yes. Um, how does, you know, your interest in this and writing in the book, how long are, and obviously as a theater major, um, that probably plays out in some way into your game. Yeah. How has, you know, this love of science and science journalism and so on kind of bled over into gaming, if anything at all? You know? I, don't, I don't know that it has. I think that, 
my theater background is a play comes out a lot more um because i i don't write fiction i know i said i wrote fiction in undergrad but i was very bad at it i was very bad at like characters and making things happen to them which is why i like writing nonfiction because the stuff is out there and i just put it in a cool shape um and it's more idea driven and less story driven which i think jason is like one of the reasons why this book doesn't feel like traditional science journalism to yeah. you is like they're the scientists are not really characters part of that is because yes. i wrote this almost entirely during the pandemic so almost all of my research was conducted over zoom Wow. There was okay. no like okay. going to someone's lab and spending a day with them and right. telling you, you know, they wear Hawaiian shirts or whatever. Um, but in terms of, of gaming, so I've I've played two long term D&D campaigns now or I'm I'm in my second one, which is going on three years. And I feel bad because so I wrote the acknowledgments to my book, which are not in the like early copies you guys have. But I wrote those, I don't know, eight months ago. And I thank my D&D crew and I say like, I say something like, I sure fucking hope, you know, we've beaten who, or I sure fucking hope our game's over by now. Cause it was just like, it felt like we were so close to the end and I was so excited. And now I'm really worried that they're going to think that I was like, oh, I hope I'm done with you. But I just like, I meant like, I, sh I sure hope we won, you know, um, but we uh, are still going. Um, but... <laughs> It also like we don't play as regularly as we did when yeah. everyone was still in lockdown. We had a right. really right. consistent first year and a half. Um, but yeah, I think I think being a theater like playing D and D feels like improv to me. You know, I I love battle. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, like I'm playing uh, like an arcane trickster rogue right now. And so I love that she can like cast spells or shoot her bow. Like I love the, the strategic choices of that. But I also really love the like in character role playing that really fe it really feels like acting, like connecting mm. to a character, figuring out what she would do, what she would say. I love, you know, playing out scenes in first person rather than like, well, she says blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm just like, this is Angelina talking now. And then I say something, you know, um, but I have to differentiate that because I tend to play characters who are very similar to me um, in motivation, in values, because that's just like, yeah. easier yeah. to play i'm i'm insulting you through the voice of my character not because <laughs> I, not because i think they're right right <laughs> right 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 yeah whereas like one of one of the other players um plays a very stupid character which he did so that he would like like totally dense hyper literal which he did to force himself like far away from oh, himself wow. you know so that like okay. he might understand something but his character does not are others at the table also theater geeks like is that just kind of the so bar we, yeah i don't think anyone else has a i mean i don't so i i went to college with one of the players and the other two are like longtime best friends i don't think anyone else acted but so when i aside from acting in college i did a lot of production management my friend who plays the very stupid character was a stage manager um hmm. our DM was a tech director and the other player I think does like tech director lighting yeah, design okay. stuff. Yeah, so it's okay. like we are all cool. theater people yeah. but not I'm probably the one who's the most of a performer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's and and you actually see it in how they play so like I'm improvising sort of in character connecting to her emotions like I definitely have cried during a game. Um oh. But also our DM loves he's he's pulling those strings. Um and the the player who is like a tech director, you know, guy, um, he's very into like the rules and the strategy. He's definitely like way deeper into gaming than I am. And then my stage manager friend, you know, he's doing the opposite of acting. He, well, I mean, he is acting and he has a, a character voice, which no one else has. Um oh. But how yeah, you, yeah. So <laughs> how did you get in? How did you get into to gaming? Obviously, you had yeah. some people kind of pull you in. Yeah. So I don't know if this I was thinking about this. And I don't know if this is like, looked down upon by serious gamers. But I listened to the Adventure Zone. And oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I came into because I was listening to other McElroy podcasts. Like I 
so I was listening to their shows and then they started a D&D real play podcast and I started listening to it and loved it and completely fell in love with it. And so then my first like long-term game was actually DM'd by my husband, played with a couple of our friends who all listened to the podcast and were like, this is fun, let's play it. And I think cool. a couple of them had played D&D before, but there were at least two of us who our only exposure to it was was from the podcast. And, you know, we were probably like in our late 20s when this happened, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I didn't, I didn't encounter role-playing until I was almost through high school mm -hmm. um brad you had encountered it before that and yeah. what you you were first in, you were encountered it first with D D, did you not yeah when i was when i was younger we did some but it was young people playing yeah. with young people so yeah i'd say D, &D but it was D, &D light yeah, yeah so. and i i was introduced to star wars right west end mm -hmm. star wars mm -hmm. and so this does make the question have you played star trek adventures I haven't. Oh, you gotta play yeah, Star I have. I like. I. Yeah, like the the game we're in now is just like it's it's entirely written by my DM, but it's in just sort of so like cool. traditional. I don't know if we're like literally in Faerun, but it's like you know yeah. classic. Yeah. If you if you were to ever, and I'm not saying you would, but if you were to ever DM or GM any game, any setting, um, what do you think you'd do? Ooh. That's hard. And it feels hard for me because like, I don't have a fiction writing mind. So I do think I like, like mm -hmm. RDM, like he, he has binders and stories and it's just like so rich and so like, and so he's, I don't remember if I mentioned, but like he's married to one of my best friends from college, which is how mm -hmm. I, I like heard that this game was happening early in the pandemic. And I was like, I, I would like to join it, please. <laughs> and like forced my way in. Um, but I've actually asked her, I've asked my friend, like, this game is so big and sprawling. I feel nervous that it's like, we don't know where it's going. She was like, no, no, no. Ben knows where it's going. I was like, okay, good. I can just, I can go with it now. Um, but what would I do? I don't know. That's a hard That's, question. It's really hard because it's just yeah. like, it's not how my brain works. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think I would like enjoy, I think I would probably, I don't know. DMing seems so hard to me, even aside from like narratively, like writing all this stuff, just like holding all that information in your head and being ready for anything. I like being responsible for one character instead of yeah. an entire yeah. world. That's, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> And I, you know, I was a, I was originally music performance and then mm -hmm. the business. So I, I have no theater. I have one theater credit, which was, <laughs> and that's the only time I'll ever talk about it right now. Um, <laughs> and music. And it's still, yeah, it is a challenge. To, yeah. Because, to, you know, and Jason's been lucky enough where, or I've been lucky enough to have Jason as my guinea pig to try this DMGMing out. But you're right. It is a lot easier to for me and like you to play a single character and be able yeah. to play them up. So. Yeah. Being mindful of your time and pivoting all the way back to the book. That's okay. Yeah, and I'm sorry, also, sorry. I'm, I'm happy to, I'm, I'm happy to run late. Oh, I'm no, happy we, to keep chatting. So thank you. We, no, that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, one more thing I want to bring. Well, there's so yeah. many things, but um, just love this. Um, you, you set out, and this is apropos because Brad's been putting on the spot with these questions that are difficult to answer. And I think, ah. there's, I think there's value in that. Early, early on, you, you just state emphatically, what if is not an unscientific question? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I, I love that because, because that's, I mean, as you, you've probably encountered that with all the people you've talked to over the years, right? And interviewed. Um, that's so orthogonal to the way that a lot of actual science is done right now, mm -hmm. right? Um, that that it's hypothesis driven. And don't get me wrong; I mean, I'm all about an hypothesis and a good testable hypothesis. But um, that's not asking what if, right? What if isn't generating an hypothesis? What is if isn't trying to figure out which journal is going to publish this puppy, right? What if is letting yourself wonder about the universe? See, I actually, when I wrote that line, I think I was partly thinking about generating a hypothesis that Ooh. like in order to, like, I think generating a hypothesis is a really imaginative act. So like one mm -hmm. of the, mm -hmm. the, the 
multitude of of jobs and gigs that I have is I do some writing consulting work with um, grad students in the sciences applying for a national Sa- national science foundation fellowships. Nice. Wow. So nice. yeah. Um, and one of the things about that, you have to write a research proposal mm-hmm. and the research proposal, they don't say this, but they tend to be successful if they're either hypothesis driven or objective driven. They don't mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just sort of open-ended, I'm going to find out how many fish are in this pond. I'm going to characterize this thing. They want a prediction because they want, and the way I always put it to the students is they want to see that you can do that creative predictive work that you have a reason for like you have a reason for thinking you know i hypothesize that this is what we'll see and here's why it shows a lot more critical thinking than just like i'm curious what the answer is um and so while hypothesis a hypothesis like narrows your work in a certain way and you're not just like wandering around like gaping at the wonder of the universe I do think that it is like I I was re- directly thinking about hypotheses as imaginative work because it's this prediction and it it requires imagining what might happen. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and I'm sure there's like you know there's a huge range um and sometimes a hypothesis is like you basically know what's going to happen but sometimes it's really going out on a limb and like I wonder if and it's following an intuition, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which which requires also that sort of um, imaginative connection to the work, yeah. you know, um, like yeah. I just I have a hunch that this is how this works. And let me see if I can find out. I I think that's lovely. OK, so let me ask you to stay. <laughs> I, I really do. Let me ask you to state an hypothesis. Okay. Oh, boy. So not officially. It doesn't have to be formal. Okay. But, but but seriously, because because you 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 kind of come back and forth to it throughout throughout the book. It's certainly there at the beginning, it's there at the end. And it's interesting how you reframe it by the end. But let's talk for a sec about the possibility of life in the universe. Yeah. Right, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. You're very, you're very gentle with the Drake equation, right? Good, bad, and <laughs> ugly, you're very kind to it. Cause right, not that's not the point of the book. Um, But what, we live in a galaxy that has maybe 400 billion stars. We now know that most planets, maybe nearly all, sorry, most stars, maybe nearly mm-hmm. all of them have planets, right? So it's an, ast- I mean, no pun intended, it's this astronomical number, right? There are like a thousand star systems just within like 25 cubic light years. I mean, it just the, yeah. it boggles the mind and you get into some of this. There's obviously no possible way yet to like figure out a real answer, but I'm curious what you think, like as you were writing and as over the years, like when you think about the possibility of life to hypothetical doesn't have to be valid but what in your mind right creatively like what's the zeitgeist when you look out to the stars what are you seeing around that stuff i think it's likely that um simple microbial life like bacteria is common Mm. i think that sort of life as a chemical phenomenon is probably just about everywhere that it could be. And my evidence for supporting this hypothesis as like a reasonable one is that life on Earth got started just about as as quickly as conditions right. allowed. Right. Um, and so that seems, that suggests that it, it's probably pretty easy. Um, as for anything more than that, anyone that we could talk to um that i feel less sure about because everything well first of all because complex cells didn't show up for about two billion more years so that to me says you know that it they're not cheap right Mm -hmm. that it either Mm -hmm. takes a fluke or something you know you have to roll the dice a lot of times before that combination comes up um and i don't know it's like the more i learn about life on earth the and and how interconnected everything is like i just finished reading this amazing book called entangled life by um a british mycologist merlin sheldrake and so it's about Mm -hmm. fungi Mm -hmm. and one of the things i learned that blew my mind is that 
So, so there were like um, photosynthetic algae were just, you know, floating around, but plants were not able to exist on life. Um, we're not able to exist on land yeah. without going into symbiotic relationships with fungi, like fungi right. on plant roots make it possible for them right. to exist on land. Yeah. And so just like, what if fungi don't evolve on another planet? You don't get trees like right. and and land plants happened before land animals and are so foundational and intrinsic and like necessary to all land ecosystems on earth. And it's just like, well, what if that didn't happen? <laughs> you know? So like the more I learn, um, the more, the less sure I am. But the wonderful flip side of that is that the more I learn, the more I appreciate life on earth and, nice. yeah. you know, and, and, maybe don't i don't i don't there's so much wonder right here that that mm -hmm. that does it for me and also the more i learn about how hard it's going to be to detect life on another planet or confirm it that like unless someone sends us a direct message like in contact that's like hey earthlings what's up we're here how are you nice to meet you um we're just not gonna know and so i'm not like pinning my hopes on any sort of aha moment because i don't think that's gonna happen yeah yeah, it's it's I was thinking about this issue just a day or two ago. And I think part of it was probably because I was thinking about our upcoming chat, but just in general, because I've been watching a lot of Star Trek lately. Mm. And, um, and I was thinking, you know, the distances like going to your point of how will we know when will we know, right? Yeah, um, any of this, the distances are so vast between stars. Um, and and then I started thinking, okay, but up until a few centuries ago, several centuries mm -hmm. ago, the distances between the East and West hemispheres yeah. were functionally the same, right? Mm -hmm. that, that there were peoples on earth who had no comprehension that there could be anyone else. And that was just an ocean over. And yeah. so maybe, right, maybe, I mean, and again, maybe this is just me wanting to be optimistic, but of course, maybe, yeah. maybe that's where we are as a planetary species, right we're we're in the the what 11 1200s like this guy da gama he's got this weird idea <laughs> i mean it's hopefully the planetary version won't end in like the rape and pillage of entire peoples and planets but still like we what if we're just clueless and there's that much of a paradigm shift to get i mean who knows it's it's yeah. the kind of stuff that comes up reading your book which i think is just <laughs> glorious oh man thank you well, yeah, as, as, as we're reading, we're calculating our own one. It's based off of your, your writing. And I think mm -hmm. that, that, I think that's a positive thing. Yeah. You know, obviously. Cause it, you know, there's too much, there's too much inward looking these days and people mm -hmm. aren't necessarily not to get political. We don't do <laughs> that, but um, you know, I think if people had more wonder, who knows what would be, yeah. we have differently. Yeah. Around. Yeah. So have to ask an obligatory question as, mm -hmm. we, as we close up here. Have you been watching Star Trek as of late? I haven't. Oh. I haven't. I um, I watched like the first season and a half of Discovery. Oh. Um, and a couple episodes of Picard. Mm -hmm. But I know, I know that I need to get on the new season of Picard. I've heard nothing but amazing things. That's where I'm going. And yeah. that. Mm -hmm that you don't need to have watched the first two seasons. And it no. just, someone described it as next generation fanfic. And I'm like, yup, yup sign me up, sign uh, me up. Uh, so I, I will say about my unsolicited yes. opinion. It's, it's, a, will, it's yeah, a gritty season eight. It's a much yeah, grittier season eight. It's, it's a, it's a, it's well, okay. It's a grittier season eight, but what did I text you, Brad? Like, like three, two or three episodes in now, as we're recording, I, um, it truly, it's like, Jamie, it's like TNG season eight, the, the movie. Okay. So yeah. it's, it's amazing. Because I'm like, I'm saying that it's gritty. It actually, I think my problem with like Discovery in the first season of Picard no, is I don't. like that. Okay. Because like, I no. don't come to Star Trek for gritty. Like I grew up on Next no. Generation. I, I want like nice adventures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, I, I know what, I know what you mean, Brad, because it is grittier. It's more it's yeah, visually I, gritty. I over, I yes. overuse that. I overuse okay. the term gritty. It's, it's, you know how, like, 
like, um, and I can't remember the episode name, and I should, um, the, the two-part arc, the Locutus arc oh. um, yeah. in TNG. Sure. That, that, how that was a different type of vibe. Yes. Um, that's kind of the vibe you can get in okay. parts of the episode. But seeing, you know, without giving anything away, it's in a trailer. You can see Riker and Picard on the bridge together again. I mean. Jamie, it that, is glorious. It is. Yeah. It's, it's old and new. And oh, my God, I'm just going to say one thing. Okay. Worf. That's all we're gonna say. I've more. I've like picked up on this buzz. Don't read some, anything. I know. I'm don't not read, going to. Don't you? It's it's worth it's worth. It'll do your soul yeah. good. Uh, I'm excited. I also I I have trouble watching TV shows during the basketball season because I watch basketball, and so they're like, there's always a game on. Um, so it's college, always a little college tricky. Or pro. College pro. Or pro. Pro. What team? Yeah. Um, a few, which is, an, which is why there's always a game on. So I follow the Nets and the Raptors. I really love the Raptors. And my husband follows them and the Timberwolves. So okay. we, cause he, he was born in Minnesota and we, say. yeah, we used to live in Brooklyn and then Raptors. I just fell in love with them after they won the championship in 2019. And I'm talking about sports on a D and D podcast. Like, no, what? no, it's okay. I, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Jason, Jason. I know it's yeah. the one with the net and I'm yes. good. I mean, Jason's I, the guy I, that would that if we made him paint the shirt like a Big Bang Theory, it would say "Go Sports" on it. I you, you know? I have so, the shirt. My brother got it for me. So yeah. I actually I have the shirt too. I have a shirt that says "I uh, just hope both teams have fun" or something like that. <laughs> that I that I wear when the Nets play the Raptors because those are both my oh, teams. Yeah. I'm like I just I just want all my boys to have fun. See, I'm a I'm a because oh I'm in Milwaukee. It's the Bucks and Yankees. yeah. Lovely. But we put the game and my wife played high school and intramural mm-hmm. and all that. She's she's taller. Um, <laughs> we have this we have this running discussion. One, Jordan's the GOAT, not LeBron. Mm. And two, um uh, we can't watch the game because we watched it the other night and they had 17 in a row and they were going for 18. And as soon as we turned the mm. game on, they were up by Jason's looking. Jason, it's when they every time they shoot the ball and it goes. You get a point or points, two, two yeah. or three. Know? Yeah. And yeah. the bucks and the bucks had hit a lot of nets but then all of a sudden stopped <laughs> stopped hitting the nets but the other team was hitting the nets which this means is that... making it much more confusing than just <laughs> i'm doing that on purpose because <laughs> jason's grin is getting bigger and bigger and bigger as we're talking which tells me that <laughs> no, no, no. i am, in, I am uh, in for a verbal lashing later i honestly <laughs> i stopped caring like five minutes ago so keep going <laughs> you're just sitting there thinking about star trek like mm, yeah. more yeah. look you know what if I had to root for a team, I'd root for the Niners. Do you know what city they're in? DS9. Uh, oh, oh, please, yeah, people. I gonna, please. I thought you were going to go. Yeah. What is it? One Wharf? One Death Wolf to the Wolf. Opposition. Death to I've, the Opposition. I've, I've used that yeah. one at, at sports <laughs> games, except the only time I've ever been at sports games are when the girls were little and one of our daughters was like on a little soccer team. And it's yeah, like, I don't... probably shouldn't be doing this. No, no, no absolutely no, not. You can't yell death to the opposition when death to the young, opposition. When, yeah. yeah, when kids no. are playing. No. So. no. Well, now that we've completely degenerated this podcast, <laughs> no, it was my we, fault. No, 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 no. It was entirely won. my fault. You have to understand if if sports come up and because I usually wear like hockey jerseys. Yeah, you I, really and, do. Yeah. And Jason Jason makes fun of me, so this time I didn't. Um, anytime sports can come up in this podcast like okay. this, I love to I love to to break out because I just love to see Jason's eyes kind of gloss over and so i can because he'll razz me about you know because of his background he'll razz me about some science every once in a while so any chance i get okay look especially with someone who's a diehard fan you know yeah i I was once (laughs) on an academic decathlon so that's pretty sporty oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah, we'll right on right on yeah it's amazing it's amazing (laughs) married um wow Jamie, thank you so much for spending time of and for just such a wonderful, a wonderful book. Selfishly, I hope you do something like this again. Um, I, yes, I I would love, love to. I fully intend to. Yeah, it's it's wow. Yeah, th- thank you so much. Uh, be well. We will um we will definitely definitely be following you online as we do and and reading what mm-hmm. you're writing and just just helping you know using your stuff to help us dream of what of mm-hmm. what's next and what's out there. Thank you so much. It's been, I've had so much fun talking to you guys. Thank you so much for having me.
Patreon corner. I'm I'm like a little bit hyper focused these days on um, some stuff that's outside of normal like RPG reading. I've been really focused in on um, some of my music study stuff and um, some other reading that I've that I've been working on that you know outside the realm of this conversation. I won't bore people, but one thing that's been sitting on my um my table by my chair i don't know what even what you call it it's just one of my one, my table i call it my reading table yeah um is um the rune quest source book uh-huh uh-huh or our uh, rune quest uh starters kit because it has like a condensed um rules guide mm-hmm. um i reread um first edition fantasy age oh nice um, in preparation, because I want to, when second edition comes out, yep, I kind of want to see the differences in the formatting and how they put it all together. I'm really excited about that. And yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the other is, um, well, you know what? That's enough for this week. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with that. Um, there's a lot. Is, there's a lot on your table. <laughs> yeah, there's there's, and now that now that we talked about. Um, crime and punishment i think that's going to have to go back as i said to you just a little bit ago off 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 when the button wasn't recorded i might have i might have to reread that at some point so how about you um and and i haven't gotten a text from you lately in terms of any like true book recommendations other than humorous stuff we send each other so i'm curious what you're reading because i may not fully know and it may be stuff within your profession or um i uh well, as you know, and and wisely, did not respond to any texts until I was on my way home. Uh, other than <laughs> when I sent you that one from the university, um, uh, I was in uh, on a on a little weekend trip with my family, doing some college touring stuff. And while in Milwaukee, we stopped at Boswell Books, um, yes. and that was fun. It's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful bookstore. Um, just like when I was a Harry Schwartz before that. Um, it's it, it looks just the same has the same vibe it's great and uh everyone in the family wanted needed a book and i had I, I was looking at their like you know new and i think it was new and noteworthy section and uh, i had one in my hand that intrigued me and then i looked down and it was one of those oh moments yeah i was and, waiting to see if you i was waiting to see if you would talk about it yeah and oh yeah you you just flashed the picture i sent um yeah and so yeah uh, i picked up it's a thin volume i didn't realize how expensive it was it's a thin volume as many of them are by alan lightman uh the transcendent brain and he's it, it, it's starting slowly but it's it's very well done as are the other books of his i've read uh and it is it is supposed to be uh a a look at spirituality through the lens of a materialist scientist and um and we'll see where it goes i'm enjoying it so far it's got some neat history some of which is familiar and some of which is is not at all it's 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 you know it's all of his stuff that i've read is very well done um and uh it's it's interesting you know he's a he's a caltech trained physicist who spends most of his time in the humanities and i have a hard time not respecting someone who's a polymath um so yeah it's a neat it's it's a neat book I, i mean i'm i'm moving through it I don't know if I'm moving through it kind of slowly, but but it's neat. I'll, I'm traditionally these are the questions we things we talk about off just because yeah. sometimes they can bore people. But just out of curiosity, obviously spirituality and science. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Do you think it's written for someone who is in the sciences, or you know, who do you? Do, I think do, it's who, written for anyone. I oh, think okay. I think even that's even yeah yeah I, that's a good question I think that's one of his that's one of one of his strengths as a writer um uh he writes you know for him science and other things but for him it seems science is a deeply spiritual enterprise and you know I gravitate to that because that's always been the case for me too and mm-hmm. so um no I think for anyone who wants um kind of a deeper more thoughtful read um mm-hmm. i mean he's just you know he's he's positioning himself along the way um he's talking about these these names in the past 
uh, kind of all over. And it's, it's really, it's no, it's, it's, it's accessible. It's really neat. Um, it's very well written and no, I mean, I don't think you need to have any specific background to read and enjoy something like this. I, I bring it up because maybe at some point I, I can't right now. I've got too many things on your too, desk, too many things to read, including yeah. some stuff that you've recommended over time. Funny. Um, you know, amongst other things that I am well behind on working on, um, just because I've been cause life. Yeah. And I've been, you mm -hmm. know, I, I've talked yeah. about it. I'm focusing on my job search. Yeah. And, um, and enjoying some and truly trying to enjoy the time I have um, off. Um, Good for you. Yeah. And yeah. be and be selective about it. So, yeah. OK. All right. Well, you heard it here first, everyone, uh, whatever it is you heard. And uh, on that note, uh, we are we are thrilled that you were able to join us for our chat with Jamie Green, author of many things, most recently and most notably the possibility of life science imagination and our quest for kinship in the cosmos. Jamie, thanks again uh, for joining us. We'd love to have you back. And to all of you out there, as always, be well, stay well. We will chat with you next couple weeks. Bye.